It is 7.45 on a Saturday morning, which means it's time for a wine chat with our friend Jack Farrell from Haskell's. Good morning, Jack. Welcome back, Denny. Thank you very much. It's uh, nice to be back. I had the chance to listen to uh, you guys with you and uh, Steve, as I always like to do anyway, on wherever end of the radio I'm, I'm at. And uh, what, what are we going to be talking about today? Well, two things I thought we'd talk about. Somebody texted me yesterday about ice and wine. And I thought I ought to clear that up. If you want to put ice in your wine, go right ahead. Nothing's prevented. What you might want to do is buy those cubes that you put in the uh, freezer and then take them out. They don't melt. And, uh, you know, the only drawback to putting ice in wine is the ice melts and thins out the wine. And, of course, a spritzer is nothing more than wine with club soda added to it. And if you like that, by all means, drink it and don't feel badly about it at all. I mean, who cares? It's going into your body. What do you, don't pay any attention to any wine snob that goes into apoplexy because you put ice cubes in your wine. I wouldn't suggest doing it if you're at a fancy wine tasting and you're tasting expensive bottles of wine. But if you're drinking just on your patio and enjoying a glass of wine, go right ahead and don't feel badly about it. And, of course, when it's this hot... Uh, it, Red wine should be served at about 60 degrees, almost all of them. And so a, a little chill on a red wine is perfectly acceptable. And don't let anybody uh, convince you otherwise. Uh, wines were not meant to be served at 75, 85 degrees, a red wine. That's too warm to serve the wine. So uh, when we're having these dog days in really bad heat, don't feel badly at all about chilling your wines. So much for ice and wine. What I was going to talk about today is we were having dinner early in the week, and there were three of us. and we had a, One had a pork chop, one had bolognese, and the other one had chicken, and wanted a red wine that would go with all three. Well, I said, let's try a Chianti. And everybody, all the three other two people there, were absolutely delighted with it, thought it was a perfect choice. And I think we forget about Chiani. Chiani is a delightful wine. And, you know, it's unfortunately one of those bastardized names like Chablis uh, that got abused a whole lot from after World War II right up until the 80s and 90s uh, when things began to change. The Chiani region has a very noble history. Uh, the wines of Chiani were recognized in the 13th century by the papal courts and the Dukes of Tusk of uh, uh, Florence and Siena, etc. Uh, it was a calming thing. All this wonderful wine came from the Chianti Mountains. And, of course, you can't think about Chianti without thinking about Tuscany. Tuscany, in my opinion, is one of the most beautiful places to visit on the whole globe. Those wonderful hilltop towns, uh, fabulous food, great wine, and a history that just every turn in the corner uh, reveals another phase of our history from the Etruscans to today. And it's really a marvelous place to visit. And unfortunately, Chianti is a little like Bordeaux. It's a huge geographic area, and there's over 19,000 acres of vineyards in there. And uh, as I said, with a noble history like Chianti, as it's referred to back in the 13th century, 
in the 1700s, uh, Cosmo de' Medici III uh, issued an edict about where Chiani could come from. So there's a lot of regulation early on with Chiani. And a lot of us, of course, remember the Friasca, which is a straw-covered wicker bottle that every Italian restaurant had one on the table with a candle in it. And uh, people associated that with Chiani. Today, they use more traditional Bordeaux-shaped bottles, that squared-off shoulder-shaped bottles, and uh, put the Chiani in that. Because Rafia that they wrap around has gotten very expensive, and the labor to do that's even more expensive. So you don't see too many of the old Frescati bottles, and, and that's not to be confused with Frescati wine. Uh, the reason for that uh, wicker on the thing is early on, when the farmers would go out and work the field, it was kind of an early thermos. And the night before, they would take a, a barrel of wine, put a little bit in that uh, wicker-covered uh, bottle, fill it up, drop that wicker-covered bottle into the well to chill it, take it out in the morning when they're going into the field, and then the water evaporating off of the rafia would keep the wine chilled all day, and thus the Chianti would be at a perfect temperature when you were having it with your lunch. So, But today those uh, wicker cover bottles aren't around so much anymore, and like I say, they're more expensive. But Chianti is, and like I say, it had a noble history uh, in spite of the fact that in the 50s, right after World War II, it was a source of very cheap red wine. And uh, we had Gallo was making something called Paisano, which means friend in Italian. And they had big gallon jugs of Chiani, which bore no resemblance to current Chiani at all. When Baron Riccicelli, who became the prime minister of India in the 1840s, issued the recipe for Chiani, it was to be 70% Sangiovese, 15% Caniolo, and 15% Malvasia Bianca. Malvasia Bianca, incidentally, is a white grape, and that was the recipe of Chiani for a long time. Well, that has changed quite a bit. Uh, and today, the only constant is uh, it's, there's a lot of Sangiovese in Chianti. And Chiantis, as I mentioned a, a moment ago, are all over the board. You can buy a Chianti for $10 a bottle. You can buy a Chianti for $100 a bottle. And is there that much difference? Yes, believe me. You want If you were doing what we did the other night, where we wanted a nice red wine that would accompany those three different dishes, uh, you'd want a mid-priced, modestly priced Chianti is what we had, and it was absolutely perfect. But as I said, Chianti is often a great wine for picnics in warm weather. You can put a bottle of inexpensive Chianti in the cooler and enjoy it just like uh, Beaujolais. And then, I, as I was saying about the uh, recipe for Chianti, in the 60s and 70s, they began to tinker around a little bit with Chianti and coming up with different blends. And in so doing, they created Super Tuscans. Now, a Super Tuscan wine is a very expensive wine that's from the Chianti region, but it's just Vintavola, or table wine, because it might be 100% Cabernet, it might be 100% Merlot, it might be 
all sorts of things, but it is not the Chianti recipe and usually does not have Sangiovese in it at all. Or if they do, it's only a small part to blend it. So you might have Cabernet and Sangiovese together in a Super Tuscan. And those Super Tuscans are some of the most expensive wines that come out of the Chianti region. And like I say, even in spite of worldwide recognition, they still are labeled simply table wine because they can't use the fabled Chianti sign. And the fabled Chianti sign is the Gallo Nero, or the black rooster. If you see a black rooster on the neck, these people belong to the Classico Chianti Consortium, and they take pride in their wine, and they're permitted to put that black rooster on the bottle. And those are usually more expensive. And Chianti, as I say, runs the gamut. There's straight Chianti, then there's Chianti Classico, and then Chianti Reserva. The Classico has to spend almost a year in the cellar. The Reserva has to spend two years in the cellar before it's bottled and sold. So you can see there's all sorts of wonderful varieties in Chianti. And the the names, of course, of different kind of Chianti producers, some of them are legendary. But the nuts and bolts of the whole thing is that Chianti is really a marvelous wine, and it, it runs the gamut. For me to talk about it here today, you know, and recommend different Chiantis, I can recommend one for sure, and that was a vineyard I used to own in Chianti called Villa Cafaggio. And I sold it about 10 or 12 years ago, and I regret it uh, very much because we loved it and had many happy times at Villa Cafaggio. But unfortunately, a big conglomerate bought out our senior partner, and I decided, along with another American friend who had a part of the vineyard, uh, that we should really get out of it because there's nothing worse than being a minority stockholder in a big conglomerate's minority business. Uh, but it, it's a very good Chianti, and it's from Greve and Chianti. In fact, the town of Greve appended Chianti onto their name, uh, and it's a wonderful place. If you get a chance to visit Tuscany, visit Greve and Chianti. They have a Enoteca, a wine place in the center of town that is uh, has a dispensary that dispenses an ounce or two of wine, and they must have 100 Chiantis in there that you can try. And you get an ounce or two for flat fee and you walk around with your card and poke it in there and they dispense the wine to you and it's a marvelous way to taste a lot of uh, wonderful Chianti's and like I said it, when you have that many places there's going to be some Chianti's that aren't so good but, but if you know your merchant and they, they know what they're doing Chianti can be a great great value and is a wonderful wine for the summer because as I said it takes chilling beautifully it's unassumptive and uh, it just makes a dish that much better if you have a glass of chilled Chianti on a hot day with your favorite barbecue. And we certainly have had a few of those, yeah, a few amen. of those lately. Boy, that sounds mighty refreshing. Well, Jack, uh, tell us, you know, for those that maybe are new to the show, maybe new to the Twin Cities, tell us how Haskell's still family run. Yes, for Haskell's has been in business since 1934, 85 years of serving the Twin Cities community. We're locally owned and operated, and uh, we think the Twin Cities is a grand place, and we're thrilled beyond words to be the spiritual 
advising people in our wonderful community. And the folks at Haskell's do know a little bit about wine. That's why we're referred to as the wine people. And believe me, they can't make the meal for you, but they can indeed ensure that the meal's a big success by picking the right wine to go with whatever dish you're going to prepare. There's a Haskell's near you where you can save big dollars on wine. There's a Haskell's in Bloomington. There's a Haskell's in downtown Excelsior, right at the Excelsior Dock. In Fairbowl, we're right off of 35W. Our Maple Grove Supercenter is not to be missed. 22,000 square feet of wine and spirits and beers and wine wall with 19,000 bottles of wine in the wine wall. There's a store in downtown Minneapolis where we have free parking on Saturday and Sunday. Minnetonka at Ridgedale, Plymouth, St. Paul, Highland Village, Stillwater, White Bear Lake, and Woodbury, too. And if you can't come into Haskell's, go to Haskell's.com, and it'll take you right to our summer flyer and all the wonderful wines that are on sale at Haskell's. And don't forget, we do deliver. Fantastic. Jack, let's talk one week from today. I'm going to look forward to that, Denny. Very good. Thank you, Jack Farrell from Haskell's this morning. Yes, that's his cue. (laughs) He'll be back next week, of course.